It was a rainy Friday afternoon in 1975 when I drove through Virginia with a load I had to deliver to Lynchburg. I drove that route regularly. It was one of my favourites, because there was not much traffic and the scenery was nice. I enjoyed driving along the coast. The vast landscape on the road, with few cars around me, always made me calm. I don't have a lot of people in my life. You might say the road is my only true friend. Some might say that's sad, but I've never felt comfortable around people. They are so hard to read, so unpredictable, while the road is not. Some people like conversations, but I prefer to immerse myself in driving, just watching the skies and the scenery, while the sound of my favourite country channel plays in the background. It was on such a highway that particular day, somewhere halfway through Road 17, that I had to refuel. I had driven for hours, and decided that this was a good time for a break and a piss, maybe even a quick snack. I turned at a small village called Woolworth, Residence 503 on the wooden sign, which welcomed me in large white letters. For a moment I regretted taking the turn so impulsively, because after the sign followed a winding path that was difficult to drive on, with a vehicle the size of mine. But turning around was probably going to be even harder, so I drove on. After a sinuous road and an exceptional view of a small bay, I got on a straight road where some poorly maintained Victorian houses were lined up on each side. I stopped at a small gas station, where there was enough space to park my truck. I filled up the truck, and opened the door of the station. A sign with, I'll be right back, hung in the centre of it, but the door still opened. This is not the type of village where people steal, I thought. I called out, but there seemed to be no one in the shop. I took a piss in the toilet anyway. When I returned, the store owner was still not back. I made a short round through the store, and I noticed that there was a layer of dust over the products on the shelves. Not a busy place, I thought to myself at first, but when the man was still not back after ten minutes, it gave me an odd feeling. I'm from a small town myself, and it's normal that some parts of it can feel a little bit desolate sometimes, but this was different. It was something in the air, I guess although I couldn't really put my finger on it. But when I got out of the store, I realized that it was the absence of noise that had unsettled me. I realized that not a bird was to be heard, not a single one. A strange sensation, certainly, because I could see the sea from the gas station. Usually this is accompanied by the sound of the squawking of seagulls, but I heard nothing but the muffled sound of the crashing waves in the distance. I decided to walk towards the town centre, to see if there was somebody that could help me and tell me where the owner of the gas station was. While walking past the houses and shops, I tried to get a sense of the village. It looked pretty. There were more of the Victorian houses I saw before, although some of them seemed neglected. Still, the farther I walked into town, the more eerie a feeling I got, but I told myself it wasn't just the houses, but the threatening grey sky, which predicted rain. The weirdest thing was that I saw no one, not a single soul. 
Only when I saw the town hall in the distance did I recognize a human shape. It was a man, obviously dragging something inside, something roughly the size of a loaf of bread, I would say, although it was hard to see what it was exactly. I waved, but the man didn't see me, so I walked a little bit faster towards the hall and entered the building. The door was still open, so I decided to just go in. I gasped when I saw what was inside. The overwhelming combination of the smells of rot, mould and bird shit almost stunned me. What I saw was an old-fashioned town hall completely filled with dozens or perhaps even hundreds of birds. Dead birds. Sparrows, crows, but mostly seagulls. The carcasses were scattered through the great hall in an almost orderly manner, their wings stiff and their legs up in the air. We brought them here, a crackly voice said. A man made his way through the piles of carcasses from a corner in the room. I didn't need to know what the man had normally looked like to notice that he was seriously ill. His face looked pale, and his sickly skin revealed the contours of his skull. It was a nasty angular face, with two large eye sockets, from which two bloodshot eyes stared at me. When he stood in front of me, I saw that his hands were covered in a black liquid. It was pretty dark inside of the town hall, because the windows were shut, so I couldn't tell if it was tar, paint, or maybe even blood. A feeling of fear came over me. Everything was wrong here, that much was clear. But somehow, some icy part of me managed to squeeze out a polite good afternoon. The man held out his hand, and I hesitated for a second. But before I could make up my mind, he lowered it himself and turned away abruptly. How were you fleeing? Not feeling, mind you. No, he said fleeing. He asked this with a fragile but calm voice as if there was nothing strange about a room where the floor was littered with countless dead birds. The damp smell was almost too gross to bear. This was why I had not heard any birds outside, I thought, because they must have killed them all. How were you fleeing? The man repeated, with a voice even weaker than before. He reminded me of my cancer-ridden uncle. What happened here? I asked him. He coughed, and then asked, Are you talking about the birds? We have collected them here. They don't deserve to rot on the coast. I want to set them up as a tribute. Then, then at least they died for a good reason. I bit my lip, and carefully told the man that I thought he needed help. Help? the man said. I feel better than ever, but you can't feel that yet, sir. You must be patient. Patience is a virtue, a good thing, a good thing. It was clear to me that the man, despite his terrible physical condition, still had the decisiveness of the man he used to be. I said again that I felt he needed help, that we should go to the hospital right away. But the man just shrugged and said that was not necessary at all. I decided not to press him. What if he should go mad? He clearly wasn't stable. I therefore decided to just go along with his mad talk, getting more worried by his sickly features every second. 
he asked me my name, and I gave him a fake one, that same icy part in me I never knew existed. I just wanted to be safe, I guess. Follow me, Mr. Ripley, the man said, compellingly but in a polite manner. I stepped over the bird corpses with him, and the smell seemed to become more unbearable every minute I spent inside that building. I was relieved when he opened another door, because at least there seemed to be no more dead birds in there. I think you need help, I tried one last time, more forcefully now. The man frowned at me, and then lowered his bloodshot eyes. Everyone and their concerns. Can you not see that I am doing well? Excellent, really. I noticed that his pants hung loose, probably because he had lost a lot of weight. He'll starve, I thought. He'll starve and die, like those birds. The sick man started to grin, as if he had thought of something clever that was beyond the average man's mind. He then continued to walk through a door that led to the garden. I could see the sea through the small windows in the doors. When I came out, I saw the human bodies, hundreds of them, scattered across the yard. Some of the bodies stacked upon each other. It was the most horrible thing I've seen in my life. I smelled not only the scent of death, but also that of vomit, a disgusting mix of rot and acid that made me gag. While the corpses of the birds were sheltered from the elements, these human bodies were clearly in a further state of decomposition. Flies circled around the corpses, and the skin color had turned into a lifeless, bluish white. The sick man just seemed to ignore the corpses at first, as if it was completely normal for him to show a stranger a garden filled with dead people. I was in such a state of shock, I didn't even dare ask about the dead. I could see that every dead man and every dead woman had fallen ill just before death, because every one of them had vomit crusted around their mouths. For a rationally-minded person, it must have been clear in a minute that an epidemic or a large-scale poisoning was the cause of this genocide. But I couldn't think straight. Everything in me screamed that I had to leave, but at the same time I wasn't able to move because of sheer terror. The man sighed and seemed anxious to say something, but he kept silent. You have to leave here, was all I could say. We have to get out of here. I have a truck. He shook his head and coughed twice. It sounded like something was stuck in his throat, that he tried to cough it loose with great force. I can't leave, Mr. Ripley. Don't you understand? I can't just leave. I lost my attention for the man when I detected movement in one of the bodies. I rushed towards the woman and leaned towards her, although the stench was horrible. It was a young woman with black hair. She couldn't have been older than thirty-five. I saw that she was still breathing, her chest almost moving in slow motion, half dried up puke crusted around her mouth, and I saw that it had mixed with something dark, which was probably blood she had coughed up. I shrank back when she tried to produce a sound, her dying body only capable of creating a hoarse and trembling noise that didn't even sound human anymore. The man looked at the dying woman and told her to go to sleep quietly. 
He said this in a kind voice. Then he turned his attention to me. I am the last to sleep, the man said. That is my job, to be the last. My job, my job, to spread them as as sheets in, in an honourable way. I saw how he slowly closed his cracked lips, and then, suddenly, everything became too much for me. I jumped over a fence that led to the road and ran to my truck as fast as I could. I was out of breath when I got to my truck, but I got behind the wheel right away and rushed out of there. I remember how my hands were shaking like crazy. I ignored the speed signs and parked my truck in the first diner I came across, about fifteen minutes after I left Woolworth. I asked the waitress if she knew the place, but she ignored my question and asked if everything went well with me. "'You're sweating a lot, mister,' she said, while a V-shaped frown formed above her eyes. I hastily asked her if I could use the phone and asked her again if she knew Woolworth. I said that something terrible had happened there. She told me she didn't know the place. Then she showed me the way to the phone. In the messy office behind the kitchen, I called 911 and told a quick version of what happened to the dispatcher. I pressed that they should send all the ambulances and police they had as quickly as they could. The rest of the conversation was a blur, but I remember that the woman on the line asked many questions about my own well-being, and after I calmed down, she promised to call me back to inform me about the course of events. I waited for almost two hours in that diner while the sky slowly darkened outside and a light drizzle tapped against the windows. I just waited there for her call while thinking about the horrible things I'd seen. The police never called. I called 911 again and asked about the inquiry I had made. I asked the lady on the phone why there was no news. She said that everything was going to be okay, that they were doing everything they could. I said that couldn't possibly be the case, but she thanked me and said firmly that I had done the right thing and that I should try to go home. I hung up the phone, feeling disappointed and tired. I decided there was nothing left for me to do than return to my work and deliver my shipment. It was almost as if nothing had happened when I entered the busy streets of Richmond an hour later, but in my head I saw the image of the corpses. I was embarrassed because I had fled. I should have at least taken the man. Maybe I could have saved him. Only when I was almost home did the thought of going to a doctor occur to me. I could be sick after all. Maybe all those people died because of some horrible disease. If it was something contagious, I should have been in quarantine right after I left. That same night I arranged an emergency appointment with the doctor, who only seemed to believe half of my story. She asked ten times if I was sure I had not imagined the entire experience. Even after I had explained to her that I had informed the police twice, she told me that I wasn't the first truck driver who didn't get enough sleep and couldn't really tell the difference between reality and dreams any more. Sleep was one of the most underestimated things in life, she lectured me. God, if only she had seen what I had seen. I told her clearly that it had nothing to do with sleep deprivation. 
she seemed hesitant to take me seriously until i got angry and told her that i wanted to be checked for illnesses eventually she took a blood and saliva sample but i knew she thought i must have been confused or perhaps even psychotic as i walked down the hall that thought was confirmed when i heard her speak very softly to someone on the phone still she held up to her promise and after two days my blood tests came back fine they found nothing the next day i told the horrible story over the phone to my boss i could tell from his response that he was sceptical to say the least so i decided to drop it quickly after he recommended a few days off i had expected big headlines in the papers but they reported almost exclusively about the impending end of the vietnam war i slept badly that night because i kept seeing the dying woman in my dreams in the afternoon when i had just woken up from a much-needed nap two men in black suits knocked on my door i offered them coffee but they friendly declined they asked me to sit down which i found odd because it was my house but afterwards i think they probably wanted to project some sort of authority over me and i have to admit they did a pretty good job i asked them for who or what they worked but they just flashed a badge at me with some logo on it i didn't know it might have been fake i couldn't tell both men were clean-shaven and wore the same silver watch a detail i remembered because it was so odd one of the men asked me a bunch of questions about what happened in the village i told them what i had seen and what i had told people i remember that during the interview the other one was silent and seemed to just observe me obviously they gave me the creeps but i answered all the questions truthfully to be honest i was glad somebody finally believed me and was willing to listen to my story without neglecting it right away they knew what had happened in the town of woolworth that was for sure but after almost an hour of questions the guys told me not to say another word to anyone it was a matter of security the silent guy said in the end i asked them why the happening wasn't mentioned in the papers but they just pressed on me again that it was important for me to remain silent about this that was better for everyone the talking type said and i swear to god it sounded almost like a threat so after the men came into my house i did what they asked of me i remained silent i didn't even mention any of it to my family still i bought every newspaper i could find to check if there was anything about the incident only after three days a short message appeared in the richmond paper the piece headed woolworth struck by water poisoning citizens fall ill a few lines about salmonella poisoning and the treatment of a number of residents in a nearby hospital but nothing about the corpses or the massive bird killings i thought i was going crazy at some point i was hesitating whether to call some big papers and tell my story but i thought it would be wiser not to the men had been very clear and i wasn't going to be dragged in some conspiracy or whatever the hell this was the months after my experience i began to doubt if my trip to woolworth was even real it was such a surreal experience you see 
to experience such a horrible thing and for it not to be acknowledged at all it's a terrible feeling i'm not a man who likes to talk about his feelings i prefer to stay on the rational side of life you know do my job and do it well work eat and sleep at regular times so it took me almost two months before my courage overcame my fear i decided to drive to woolworth when i was in richmond applying for a new job while i drove to the village not needing a map because i knew that highway so well i was shivering despite it being a warm summer's day when i arrived in the town after i went down the windy road which took me to the coast i saw that nothing had changed since my traumatic visit to the town nothing had changed really except that the birds had settled in the village seagulls had flocked to the town in large numbers occupying the streets and buildings some gulls screamed at each other and others just sat silently on the roofs of the empty houses their owners fatally struck down not that long ago except for the birds i got the impression that the village was completely abandoned but i decided to inspect some of the houses anyway there was nothing to see really just dusty furniture and yards overgrown with weeds the gas station was closed all the products removed from the shelves the door locked this time for a stranger it must have seemed like a place where everyone just had left like those deserted mine towns in which the inhabitants just moved after the mine collapsed or all the resources had been exhausted doubting my own mind i walked feeling somewhat defeated along the jetty which ran along the coast i listened to the sound of the squawking seagulls and the waves a threatening dark sky spread over the sea and i knew it was approaching fast while i strolled around i felt alienated from myself and this eerie place i decided to walk to the end of the jetty and then return to my vehicle at the end however my eyes caught a strange deviation in the ground the ground was clearly dug up pretty recently the grass was gone and the sand clearly was looser than it was at other spots although it had started to rain my curiosity made me investigate further i kicked my foot in the loose sand there was resistance i felt something was scattered underneath the sand i dug out the object with my hands and realized it was the skeleton of a bird it fell apart in my hands i dug further and found more bones many more some bigger than others but all fairly small bird bones the rain mixed with the earth and turned the places where i had dug into small pools of mud they had to be the skeletons from the birds that the sick man had collected in the town hall someone had buried them and it seemed unlikely that it had been the man himself because he seemed not far from death when i'd met him or maybe he was still capable at that point who knows no he told me he wanted to put them up stuff em. the rain started pouring now my white shirt which i had worn for the occasion of my job interview as private driver for a wealthy businessman was completely wet and stuck to my skin i overlooked the field and saw that the area where the sand was looser stretched far 
I could have probably spent that entire rainy afternoon digging for bird bones, but I had seen enough. At least I knew I was not crazy. At least I learned that much. I'm a rational man, you see, and it's terrible for a man like me to doubt his own sanity. My sanity is the only thing I have. I know you must be wondering about the human bodies, but I didn't care much for them. They were probably buried in a place much deeper and harder to find anyway. Nobody gives a rat's ass about a mass grave for birds. Human bodies, however, they must be buried in a place so dark and deep nobody can ever find them. I returned to my car and drove away in the rain, forever closing the chapter on this town that was swallowed whole by something nameless. A sickness, or something worse, all the inhabitants wiped off the face of the earth, and there was no proof, no proof at all, except for some bird bones. Someone had made everything disappear. I felt sad to be the only one caring enough to come back in search of those people. This story is released under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 International Creative Commons license. This story was narrated by Peter Yearsley. It was written by A Darker Tale. Follow A Darker Tale on Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.